All right. So for those of you that were watching all this time and I was just. <laughs> Sorry about that. I have so many things I have to do around here. It's not even funny. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I just had to plug it into the right outlet there. You know what? I know why the mic wasn't working. It was so I didn't say that certain thing that I just said so that YouTube would flag me again. All right. Ha <laughs> ha, YouTube AI. You don't even know what I said. I wonder if you can read my lips. <laughs> In any event, hey, man, I'm telling you, I, you know, I'm not trying to be a wild conspiracy theorist. I think there's a good possibility that the beast will not be a person. It will be a, an, an AI. Okay. Right? Is this, this, this discussion about how, uh, you know, the, the, the beast dies and then is resurrected and all of that? There's, anyway, I'm considering preaching through Revelation. And if I do, then I'll, I'll address that. But what happens when an artificial intelligence is in charge? Yeah, there's a reason it's called artificial intelligence. Because it's just like, here's a set of rules. Because it doesn't, I will tell you this, when they set these things up, they don't understand humor. I've made two jokes. I don't even joke around on Facebook anymore. I made two jokes on Facebook and got two strikes on Facebook for that. For jokes. It was a joke. I will tell you one. Okay, this is not a joke like, uh, you know, here's the punchline. I have a friend who's an actress. Okay. Uh, she's just, in fact, on, uh, oh, is it CMT? Isn't that a, a station? Used to be country music television, but now they have all these other. CMT has uh, some sort of a, a superhero uh, series. And she's one of the superheroes on this. But anyway, I directed her like 20 years ago. She was in one of my plays. She has a kid now, and he's been in some of the Marvel uh, superhero things. Uh, he, uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't know if you watched WandaVision, okay? It's like a series that was, it's on Disney Plus, and it's like a Marvel thing. Anyway, with WandaVision, there's two kids, and he's one of the kids, in any event, she was in some sort of a, um, a movie and she, she posted a clip. They were editing the film and she posted a clip on Facebook. Well, in this movie that she's in, uh, she's like dressed as, you know, Western. And there's this guy that's like, he looks like a cowboy. He's dressed and he slaps her character, right? And so I said, and I quote, I don't even know to say it on, you know, maybe YouTube is going to flag me as well. In context, this was related to a clip to a movie. So I said, quote, throat punch that cowboy, unquote, right? It's a clip to a movie. It's about a character and another character in a movie. And Facebook flagged me for it, said that I was being violent. They, you know, they, there's no sense of context. There's no sense of comedy there, you know, and, it, and it's obvious even with folks, um, folks that are on the extreme right or the extreme left don't understand comedy. There's no, you can't joke. You're not permitted to make a joke because every joke is deeply offensive, right? So again, why am I mentioning this in the context of a study on scripture? Because 
This is about the, the words that you listen to and believe and how you understand those. So when this scripture says in verse seven, um, well, the older translation, the, the literal is we walk by faith and not by sight. NIV here says, for we live by faith and not by sight. Well, that's what it means, right? Your daily walk, you would say. Um, you live by certain rules, by certain assumptions, and you can't prove all of those, right? There are certain basic assumptions that we, uh, that we go by in life and we can't really prove that those assumptions are um, true or not, but we have a sense of intuition that they are. And um, if we test those assumptions, then that testing of the assumption will, you know, prove true in each instance. So one here's just a here's a classic assumption. Uh, it's called in logic. It's called the law of non-contradiction right? What it means is something cannot be and not be at the same time. Now, I'm not talking about paradoxes where things, you know, seem to be. Something cannot be positive and negative at the same time. Something cannot be black and white at the same time. Uh, This is the law of non-contradiction. But how do we prove that? You follow? It, It makes sense, right? It's, it's a core belief that we have, but in the end, you're simply saying, well, that for all intents and purposes appears to be true. There was a, a skeptical philosopher um, in the Enlightenment period who said, you really can't prove that the sun is going to come up tomorrow. Now, we have fairly good evidence that the, you know, with the age of our sun, it's not going to supernova overnight. But you know what? We don't know. Uh, There are these huge solar flares that happen on the sun all the time. Uh, We don't know, okay? But we pretty well are going to live our lives like the sun's coming up in the morning, right? Now, at a certain point, I mentioned Revelation, uh, you know, the sky is going to grow dark. The moon is going to look like it, you know, is made of blood. It's just because, you know, of how red it is. Um, there are going to be these meteorological phenomenon that are going to con- occur globally. When is that going to happen? We don't know, right? We make, and rightfully so, assumptions that the whole world is not going to blow up tomorrow. And, you know, we were talking about the, the situation with Ukraine um, <clears throat> and how dire it can be. Well, see, there are narratives about that. This is happening or this is happening. What is really happening? We don't know for sure, but ideally we trust the Lord and we assume the best and we go by the best evidence that we can follow, right? All right. So I like this, verse six. Uh, I'm going to read verses six through 10 and I'm going to read it in the New International Version but when we, uh, when we study it, I'm going to switch over to the ESV. New International is more understandable when you read a longer passage. It's more dynamic. ESV is more word for word. So here is 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10 in the New International Version. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the, bo- while in the body, whether good or bad, okay? So we don't have an existence, a disembodied existence. You live in the body, right? Um, we're told in Romans 12, 1, to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice to God holy and acceptable to him. So this life that we live is a bodily life. So the apostle Paul talks about living uh, in the body versus uh, living not outside the body, but more aware of the Lord and the spiritual than aware of the body. So let's look at that first verse, verse six. We are always of good courage, the ESV writes. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So have you heard someone say that they're at home in their own skin? You know, um, I remember some years ago, <clears throat> there, was a, there was an ad, and I don't remember if it was for like, it was like for yogurt or something like that, I don't know. But there was this, you know, very svelte woman and she was, you know, she was wearing a, uh, you know, like a halter top type of thing, so that you know you could see her stomach. And and she she put her hands on her on her little skinny stomach, and she said, "I love my belly. I love my belly." Well, this is someone that's at home with the body, right? <laughs> I love my belly. You know, this is this is the guy that you know flexes and kisses his biceps. You know, so it's not that you're you're not supposed to hate your body. That's not what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. But this idea of being at home with the body that he's uh, giving us understanding for is that that's where our, our, our focus is. That's what our time and attention is taken up with. So, you know, most of you know, I go to the gym, um, whether it looks like it or not, I do. I go to the gym um, and I go six days a week. And, you know, it's just a habit that I have. But as I said Sunday, you know, I've come to the conclusion that I'm never going to look like a bodybuilder. Uh, you know, I can, I can lose my gut a little bit and, you know, look this way or that way. But you know what I found out, okay? I really lost way down, okay? Um, I was looking lean and mean. And this has happened a couple of times, but the last time was in 2018. And as old as I am, I got down to 5.3% body fat. Okay, I could stick my finger in my abdominals, right? That's how deeply cut they were. And it didn't matter a bit. It didn't change my life. It didn't change people's opinion about me as a person. It didn't really make me feel any better about myself, okay? Um, It was easier to be vain than it is now, (laughs) You know, now I just look at my gut and go, oh, no, I don't like that, right? (laughs) But, you know, do I want to work that hard again? Well, I want to fit into my pants again because I've actually had to buy new pants because I gave away all of my pants that had bigger waist sizes in the event that what has happened now happened. And so I have got a ton of clothes that I cannot wear right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? And so, yeah, I want to, but in the end, you know, we, we're, so, we're such a, 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 um, a physically oriented people. We're so focused on youthfulness and, you know, being skinny and, you know, or muscular or whatever. In the end, honestly, guys, it, it doesn't make you a better person. Be healthy by all means, but don't look at some model for, you know, fitness that says that, you know, you need to have 5.3% body fat. You just need to be reasonably healthy, Right. Um, you, you know, it's, it would be a good thing if you could walk up our stairs here and not feel like you're going to barf up a lung by the time you get to the top of the flight of stairs. <laughs> you know, we had a guy that was coming for a while. This is one of these folks that I really love these folks, but it's, we've had so many folks that just haven't come back after COVID, right? And this family hasn't. But I remember this guy, he had two daughters. One was a teenage daughter and the other one was a uh, like a, toddler at that time, I think. And so, and he's a bigger guy. He looks like a football player. And I remember one time I was right behind him as he was climbing the stairs and he was just about ready to die by the time he hit the top of the stairs. So yeah, be healthy. Okay. Um, definitely be healthy. But this excessive focus on the here and now and the physical, it's, you know, it's not good for us. Um, let me go, go to my notes here. Uh, if you wonder why you are often unaware of the Holy Spirit's presence, why you pray so little or get so little out of your prayers, why the Bible is boring, why you're filled with doubts, the answer is here. You're too focused on your physical life and earthly things. Listen, I still see, I still see, and y'all are paying attention so you won't think I'm picking on you, but I still see during church services, people who were just on their phone the whole time. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that's using their phone to read their Bible, okay? But it's like, you know, if you're just sitting there checking texts, you know, or checking scores or watching a video or playing a game, why are you at church, right? I mean, you could stay at home. Nobody made you come. So, but we're so distracted. This is why I will say that at least a third of the time when, when I'm sitting at a light, the light changes and the cars don't move. Why? Because people are busy on their phones. They're, you know, they're answering a text or they're doing this or they're doing that. You know, there was a guy earlier today and he went when the light turned, but he was just plodding along. I mean, it's a 50 mile an hour speed limit on 78 until you get close to downtown. Then it drops to 45 and then to 40. And he's plodding along at like 25, you know, and I'm behind him. So I got to wait for these people so I can go around him. And as I go around him, I see he's got his phone and it's like plugged in and he's got it here and he's talking as he's, man, let's, we're distracted, aren't we? We're just, we're completely distracted. The, the bigger issue, in my opinion, is we're so distracted by all these worldly things, we can't pay attention to the Lord when he wants to talk to us. So we, we're too focused on our physical life, on our earthly life. When I'm staring at myself in the mirror, whether that's because I like what I see or what I don't like what I see. By the way, you know, you may think, man, I look good. Or you may think, man, I have all these improvements I need to make. The problem is the excessive focus on the physical life, right? Right. Um, 
when I'm focused that way, I'm insensitive to the unseen God and even to the unseen spiritual part of me. I have to remind myself again and again of the Apostle Paul's statement to Timothy. This is in 1 Timothy 4.8. Physical training is of limited value. Another translation has it. Physical training is of some value. But godliness or devotion to God holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. So that's what we need, godliness, right? Dedication to the Lord. Um, Less focus on me, on self, on the physical. And you know, the reality is when when your health is failing, um, when it's a struggle, it forces you to focus. And it can just be, you know, like, like, let's say you have a migraine. Man, it's really hard to focus on anything other than the pain, isn't it? Okay, those of you that are struggling with, you know, blood pressure issues, when you're, you know, you're just trying to keep your balance and you're, you know, it's really hard to focus on these other things. Um, So I realize that. But that's why we need to allow that to be a prompt for us to pray rather than for us to just focus on the pain. When I'm sick, I'm the worst sick person. I whine and moan and complain and there's nobody there and I'm complaining. I, I'm a terrible sick person. I really, really am. Um, but all that to say, we can become so focused on the physical that we, we miss out on the spiritual. Um, so in a previous generation, there was a phrase that was often repeated about church folks. And it went like this. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that phrase? You're so heavenly minded, you know, but the reverse is true today, isn't it? People are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. They're so focused on the here and now that they're not planning for the hereafter. They're so worldly that they're not getting ready for the kingdom of God. All right. And then there's the phrase, we walk by faith and not by sight. You either live by the natural paying attention to what your your five senses tell you, or you live according to the spiritual, paying attention to the word of God and the Holy Spirit. That second kind of living requires faith. Believing is seeing. Say that. Have you heard somebody say seeing is believing? No, that's not true. Seeing is seeing. (laughs) You don't have to have faith. If if I can see it, there's Jacob. Jacob's back. We're thankful he's sitting right there. I don't have to believe. He's sitting right there. You know, Monday he was in the hospital. Last week he had to go to the hospital. Okay, yeah, I don't have to have faith for that. That's straightforward evidence right there. But when it comes to something like, you know, we're, we're praying for, you know, for several of you, we're praying for your health, all right? When I get that assurance from God that that prayer is being answered, that's faith, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's why faith is the organ that allows us to sense the spiritual, right? If you're a spiritual person, you are a faith-oriented person because faith is the I that sees into the spiritual, okay? Um, 
Assurance of God's existence wells up within when you view the beauty and magnificence of creation. So there are people that look at creation and they come to the conclusion that that you know just all came about as a result of sheer chance. I, I okay, I don't know how you do that. You know, I've been to the Rocky Mountains many times. Um, I used to take youth groups skiing in Colorado, and we'd be up on that ski lift going up, and you look around at that magnificence. How do you come to the conclusion that there's no God? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I was born in Grand Canyon, Arizona. And every time I go visit my birthplace, I am still overwhelmed. Now, just because you can describe what you believe the physical causes were does not explain why I'm so overwhelmed by the magnificence and the beauty of that, right? So there is evidence for the existence of God and creation, but it's obviously not indisputable because there are plenty of people who are very scientifically minded, oriented toward their five senses, who would say, no, there's no God. It all, everything came about as a result of sheer chance. You know, here is this intellect, this magnificent intellect that this person is using to say that there is no God that created and designed and you know, cause that intellect to occur. It's nonsense. The scripture says in Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament his praise, the, the sky, the atmosphere around us, his praise. When you look up at that, so we have a hard time seeing the stars when we're in the city, right? You know, there's a haze that's there and the, the all the city lights, you know, uh, interfere, okay? But all you have to do is drive out of the city, get out of your car, Get away from the highway and look up at the sky. It's stunning. This is why there were so few atheists long ago because they didn't have city lights to interfere with that. They were confronted with that every single night, right? The stars declare the glory of God. But what really incites faith, inspires faith, is the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So right now, you're being given the opportunity to have faith. You will either exercise that or not exercise that, right? But it is an opportunity whenever you hear the word of God. And then the scripture teaches that the righteous live by faith. That's from Habakkuk 2.4. But the apostle Paul quotes it in Romans 1.17 and in Galatians 3.11. And then the writer of the Hebrews quotes it in Hebrews 10.38. The righteous live by faith. So faith is, first of all, my assurance and conviction that who God is and what God says is true in spite of the fact that I have yet to see him or experience all that he has promised. And uh, I quoted this earlier, but this is Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So don't stop believing. We have a world that is turning away from God wholesale today, right? The culture used to be largely a believing culture. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything in the culture was right, but the overwhelming majority of Americans the entire time I was growing up were at least nominally believers in God. That is declining with each successive generation because the culture has become anti-Christ and anti-God. It's turned its back on the Lord. Don't stop believing. Honestly, friends, doubt is unproductive. 
It's not productive, okay? Um, the scripture says in Psalm 14, one, and uh, I believe it's 53 or 54, one repeats this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile. And then uh, Psalm, uh, I want to say 10, I, I think it's Psalm 10, 4, says uh, that the in the unrighteous man's thoughts, there is no room for God. Well, the reason that people don't believe is not just doubt. It's that they don't want a God riding over them, telling them how to live, right? This is why people think that they can just create reality, essentially, okay? I would never have thought, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, rambunctious or hateful toward any particular group of people. I'm just being honest with you. I would never have thought in my wildest dreams that we would come to a time where people legitimately, genuinely, wholeheartedly believe that they are women when they are actually men or men when they are actually women. I understand, you know, the people have same-sex attractions and all these other things, but when your body is clearly telling you the opposite of what you, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but we've come to a time where people don't believe that there is a God who created us, who designed us, who made us. And so as a result, if I have certain feelings that I assume mean that I'm not comfortable with my gender or whatever term you want to use, then I'm going to follow my feelings rather than the clear reality, the clear evidence of my physical, you know, body, okay? But that is the product of not believing that there is a God who has created us and who um, has designed us and who des designed us to, to live in a certain way, commands us to live in accordance with his design. And that was the, you know, the substance of my message on Sunday. Um, who are you supposed to be? You are supposed to be someone. You are supposed to be what God created you to be. And you will discover that as you look to Jesus. You won't discover that by identifying with certain celebrities out in the world or people that you like or want to be like. You're not going to discover that by looking inside and, and judging your feelings. You're going to discover that by looking to the Lord who created you, by looking specifically to Christ, okay? Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, Back to the question, is your focus on your physical body, whether that be aches and pains and illness, or whether that be beauty and strength and skill, or is your focus on <coughs> sneezing? <laughs> is your focus on the spiritual, which supersedes the physical? Um, regardless of how you feel or what you're capable of, that is true. So how can you be away from the body? Well, I will tell you, and you may have had experiences similar to this. I'm just going to give you one. When I was in seminary, I went to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. Um, the first six months I was there, I lived in, a, in an apartment right off of campus, okay? And uh, I got uh, my first staff position at First Baptist Church, the Colony, 
And so I used to go from Fort Worth to the colony every Sunday and well, really every weekend because I had a youth program that ran through the weekends. But I lived in that apartment and I had two friends, uh, one lady friend and one young man friend. And we would gather in my apartment and we would pray. And I can tell you, I, I remember one time we would, this may be hard for you to identify with, but we would pray for hours. And, you know, each of us would just pray in turn. And, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine, well, what do you pray for, you know, all that time? But I can remember after praying with these people, I would open my eyes and I felt like I had been in a different world during that time, right? You know, I felt like I, I was floating three feet off the ground or somewhere else or whatever. This is my best way of expressing or understanding this idea of being at home with the Lord, okay? But I think you can do this without closing your eyes and, you know, going into this deep prayer or meditation. When you're walking through this life and you're walking by faith and not by sight, you're at home with the Lord. And that's why, you know, I I really encourage you, get into the Word. I, I uh, And again, I will tell you this, I send out daily Bible verses if you don't know where to go, Right? Uh, text the word, T-H-E-W-O-R-D, the word to 94000. I send out daily Bible verses every single day. You click that, it takes you to the Bible app. And then uh, you can click read the chapter and read the whole chapter. You need to, and it's not just for me, I'm just giving you a tool. You need to be in the word regularly, daily. What happens is we're listening to the news regularly, daily. We're watching, uh, you know, movies or TV shows. We're listening to various uh, songs on the radio and so forth, and they all have messages. And then we wonder why it's so hard to have faith. What are you surrounding yourself with? You become like those messages that you pay attention to, right? That's what sways you. That's what changes you, okay? So, um, I can be at home with the Lord by focusing on the Lord throughout the day, by paying attention to his word, by meditating on his word. Now, I like how Rick Warren um, uh, defines meditation. It's turning that scripture over. It might be just a phrase, okay? It might be a verse. To meditate on it, you've got to memorize it, right? It could be something short. You just learned one today. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's a whole verse. Second Corinthians 5, 7. Or we live by faith and not by sight, right? Same thing. You memorize that. And then you just, you keep turning it over in your mind. You think about some of the things that I said tonight, okay? You go back and read it in several translations. Um, and and you, you, you continue to turn that over. And it's a lot like chewing. Right? When you chew your food, that's when you get the flavor out of it, right? You don't just swallow it whole. I mean, first of all, you choke on it, but you really wouldn't get any enjoyment out of eating if you just swallowed everything without chewing it. It's the process of chewing, right, that draws the flavor out and prepares it for digestion. Guess what? That's meditation. Meditation is not, oh, Om, right? 
Meditation is turning over the truth of the Word of God in your mind again and again. That, my friend, is being at home with the Lord, okay? Um, Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. That's what we're trying to do is please the Lord. There are times we must focus on the material world and on our physical bodies. You got to take a shower. You got to take care of your knee. You got to eat. You got to, you know, work out. You got to do all these different things, okay? The physical is not evil. That's not what we're trying to say. Your body's not evil. We're not Gnostics, right? You're not thinking that we're going to live eternally in some disembodied ghostly existence. And, you know, this is just temporary and evil. It's not evil. It's just temporary, okay? Um, But it is subject to the fallen world, the world that is separated from God. Mundane concerns, worldly concerns, earthly concerns are a distraction, as I said earlier. Uh, This is one reason Paul preferred to remain unmarried and recommended the same to others. Now, I'm I'm not recommending this to you. I'm simply showing you that this is why Paul chose to remain unmarried. This is in 1 Corinthians, and we looked at this uh, it's probably been a year ago now. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35, and I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is uh, no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Now, of interest here, the Apostle Paul is not against marriage, neither am I. In fact, he starts this chapter by saying, really, most of you need to be married because otherwise you're gonna burn with passion. And that's a distraction, okay? But my point is, whether you're married or unmarried, the focus needs to be on pleasing the Lord. That's what verse eight says here. Um, The demands, the exigencies of our 21st century world are overwhelming at times. However, during such times, we must still seek to please the Lord in all of our actions, attitudes, words, and interactions. Uh, Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And then Romans 13, 11 says, clothe, this is this was my, my good verse for, for Halloween, right? Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So we don't put on a costume and try to become something other than what we are. We clothe ourselves with Christ because we are in Christ and seeking to become more like him. Verse 10 and our last verse for today, and you went, whew, you've been talking a lot, all right? (laughs) This This is what we're headed for. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I think we overlook the fact that we're going to be judged by Jesus. When you die, you're going to wake up and you're going to face Jesus and you're going to be judged. Well, the question is, will a Christian be judged? Well, he's writing to Christians. Well, aren't we exempt because we're saved and forgiven? What about Jesus' words in 
John 5.24. Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So who's right, Paul or Jesus? Are they opposed to one another? Well, there's this statement in Hebrews 9.27. This was my theme for House of Judgment. It is appointed for everyone once to die, and then comes judgment. This isn't something we can afford to get wrong, friends. Judgment day is coming. Well, what, is this, what does this mean? Well, let's put the Hebrews verse, is appointed for everyone once to die, and then comes judgment. Let's put it in its context. Let's back up a verse to Hebrews 9.26 and read down to 28. But as it is... He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Salvation means that we who have received Christ and have therefore been forgiven of sin, listen, will not stand judgment in order to decide whether we're getting into heaven or not. Judgment is not for the purpose of, all right, let's look at your works. Oh man, not enough good works. You're going to hell. Let's look at your works. Oh, a lot more good works. Okay, you're going to heaven. That's the way most people think of judgment. The reality is we're all consigned to separation from God in hell if we don't allow Christ to forgive us of our sins and bring us back to Jesus Christ. So what is the purpose of judgment for saved people? We're already getting into heaven. The purpose for judgment is to reward us for the things that we've done in the body, right? Or... There will be absence of reward for those who have simply done little or nothing with their salvation, right? So there will be no tears in heaven. It's very, that's very clear. In Revelation, uh, we see that there's, there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. But I think there will be tears shed at the judgment bar of Christ. I think when we look at the ways that we fell short, we didn't live our lives for Christ, yeah, I think there will be tears there. But see, then we pass on to the other side. We're saved because of what Jesus did. We're rewarded for what we did for Jesus. So do you seek to please the Lord? What are you doing for Jesus? We're all gonna stand before him, every single one of us. I will remind you of the, the three crowns that Scripture speaks of. These are rewards. The crown of life, we find this in James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to all those who love him. This isn't a ruling crown. This is a crown like uh, the laurel wreath that one would get uh, for winning in the Olympics, okay? That kind of crown. And then there's the crown of righteousness. This, in first, this is in 1 Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. And then there's the crown of glory. This is in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Uh, and I'm gonna read 3 and 4. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God, 
that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would, excuse me, as God would have you. And then the chief, excuse me, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay. Um, And then we see in heaven, and this is again in Revelation, that they cast their crowns before the throne in gratitude. So what will you have to offer back to the Lord for all he's done for you? These rewards that we receive, we simply offer back to him, right? It's kind of like those of you that have had, that, you know, have had kids, um, Christmas comes around and they want to get you a Christmas present. Where do they get the money? They get it from you. But they, they want, they want to give something to you and you receive it as a gift from them, but it came from you. <laughs> this is us. We want to offer something back to the Lord, but we recognize that all the rewards that we receive, they're there because, you know, he provided salvation for us. He's provided everything for us. All right. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for joining us online. God bless you.